0: And welcome to JOY, a podcast from St. Margaret's Episcopal Church in Little Rock, Arkansas, where our conversations about life and faith always include Jesus, others, and you. One of our listeners nominated our guest speaker today because they wanted to know more about the theme music for this podcast. So I'm really glad to introduce you to the composer and creator of our music, my husband, Stephen Vano
1: is this where the applause comes in? (laughs) I'm actually very excited to be here. This is a really neat experience for me. Thanks for having me. And whoever that person was who nominated me, thanks. That's fantastic.
0: Thank you for being my constant supporter with this project. You've been behind the scenes the whole time. So today you get to be a part of it. So for our listeners, Stephen and I first met in middle school. We started dating in high school. And one of the things that we shared in common from the very beginning of our relationship was an interest in music. For me, music was a pastime, something I dabbled in. I took piano lessons from a very young age and participation in choir I always found to be really rewarding. But for you, Stephen, music became a passion and a calling. Tell us about how your love for music got its start.
1: This is a story that it's still kind of going on for me. I have often wondered, like a lot of people do, sort of about my origin story, if you will, because I'm so immersed in music all the time with my life and what I do with my students and just my general interests are always surrounded by music, that I've wondered, how did I get started with all of this? Where was the spark, actually, that sort of created it? The best thing I can tell you is that I started really young as a child, just being very interested in music. My ears sort of perked up in a way that may not have been similar to other children. I was curious about it. We had a piano in the house that I loved to play with. My mother played music. She was a piano player, and I listened to her play and was always fascinated by it. I wouldn't say that we listened to a lot of music in the home so much, but we did listen to a lot of music on the radio. So I think at an early age, when I got my first radio, I was listening to all the pop music on the stations constantly, trading cassette tapes with friends at (laughs) school and all of those types of things. Because of that, I think I really got into music at a very young age, just as a general curiosity. It wasn't until grade school, maybe sixth grade, I recall. I remember singing in chapel at my school. And one of the teachers said to me at chapel, you have a beautiful singing voice. Now, I think at this time, I had never really thought about my singing voice in any particular special way. I knew I liked to sing. I knew that when I was singing, I was singing the right notes. I could tell that I was in tune with the music and all of that. But I don't think I had ever experienced someone responding to my performance of music in any way. And that was really different. I guess sometimes it takes that little push, that little encouragement. So it wasn't long after that that they started a choir at our school, and I decided to join up right away. And then not long after that, a visiting choir director from the local junior high came down and asked if I would be interested in singing in the choir there. So I went and sang for him. And he told my father, who taught at the same school, that I sang just like a bird and that he wanted me in his choir. And so I joined up choir. I think the rest is history. Yeah, I found out really quickly that it was something that just made sense for me. In a way that it's hard to explain, it just made sense. In fact, I can't help but think about that moment in the movie *Goodwill Hunting, when Will is trying to explain to his girlfriend how he can just do this really difficult homework that she spends all day and all night working on and he says that it's sort of like Beethoven looking at a keyboard, and it just makes sense to him. For me, music has been a lot like that. It always just made sense to me, and I'm inspired by it daily.
0: That difference was so obvious when you and I were first becoming friends. As I said, I had been playing piano from a young age. I had a piano in my home, and it was work for me. I went to lessons every week and practiced, probably not as much as I should have. I found it enjoyable, but it was a learning exercise for me. It didn't exactly come natural. And then you and I started dating. You had never taken piano lessons, but you liked to come over and play my piano sometimes. And then you started taking piano lessons and you like immediately excelled beyond anything I could do because it just made sense to you in a way that it didn't make sense to me. And then I quit playing piano. <laughs> <laughs> Sometimes I still go back, but I'm glad that you play our piano.
1: I love playing the piano, and my biggest regret is that I didn't start sooner learning how to play. But there are, of course, in the life of a boy, a lot of interests, and they've all served me well in my life and maybe given me more balance because of it. So I did start a little late, but I have always really enjoyed the instrument.
0: You ended up getting a bachelor's degree in music education, as well as a master's degree in choral conducting. You've been teaching music and leading choirs, mostly for middle and high school students, for over 20 years. And I know that you wouldn't really call yourself a composer, except that because I live with you, I also know that you do create a lot of your own music. Usually it's just for fun or even, you know, just something silly. Occasionally I get a sweet love song from you, and it just amazes me. Like God creating the first human from the earth, you can sit down at the piano and bring melody and harmony out of thin air. So back near the end of April, I had one of those sleepless nights in which it feels like God is just filling me with ideas. This happens to me from time to time. Usually when this happens, I just can't sleep until I've spent hours turning over the inspiration in my head. In this particular instance, one of the ideas keeping me up that night was the idea to do this podcast. And I knew from the beginning that I wanted to call it J-O-Y, Jesus, Others, and You. I told you about my inspiration the very next day, and I also knew that I would need your help with it, because what's a podcast without some music? So I asked you to help me come up with some theme music. It took a little cajoling, but you're always my number one supporter. And of course, you agreed. So Stephen, now tell our listeners about your process. How did you come up with our joy scene?
1: Well, I think process is a bit of a wrong word for me on this one, only because process implies that I do this all the time, maybe, and I have something that's sort of normalized and I don't. (laughs) I have dabbled in arranging music for my students and for orchestra and for other sort of projects along the way. And as you pointed out, yes, sometimes I like to sit and compose at the piano, coming up with themes in my head and just making music, as you say, out of thin air. Although I think I have to at least throw out that because of my study of music theory, I am making sense of everything that I'm doing. As much as I'd like to say, I have sort of magic inside of me that just makes music come out. It is basically something that I have studied long. And so I kind of know how things are going to sound before I even put them into my fingers on the piano. I think using some of those skills of sitting down and improvising, that was sort of part of my process. I think when you told me about this, I was a little bit scared that whatever I would produce wouldn't be good enough. I think artists are always the hardest on themselves when it comes to critique. You never feel like you're worthy. I'm, by the way, not alone on that. I think that's just an artist thing. And when it comes to creating, of course, you know that people are going to hear it and you're going to get some sort of critique in some way. Nevertheless, I thought it was an exciting project, and I'd love the opportunity to be able to create something for you. And we had a little extra time on our hands since this is sort of pandemic time. I told you I would come up with some stuff and I would record it for you and let you choose from it. One thing that you probably didn't know that I intended to do at the time was I was going to come up with three themes that I could share with you. So I sat down at the piano at church and I played through them and recorded them and then brought them to you. These are just things that I improvised on the piano. They were whole in their own way, but I had intention from the very beginning to make them more refined. That was my intention. I just needed essentially what I call an outline to work with, a musical outline, if you will. And so after you selected what you liked best, I went with that and started to create it and started to do something very specific with it.
0: I guess it's sort of your art is music. Mine is sermon writing. (laughs) I think I'm beginning to understand how this works for you. There's an inspiration and then I have to make an outline. And then I have to flesh it out. So that's what you were doing when you gave me three outlines, really, three beautiful choices. I really honestly had a hard time choosing between them. But as soon as I selected, I honestly kind of thought the process was over, but you wanted to take it further. So what'd you do next?
1: One of the things that the listeners should know, for me, when I began the process of thinking about what this should sound like. I really wanted to do something in a particular style. So I have familiarized myself with all the musical styles of Western music, and I'm a big fan of the history of music. I read lots of literature on this, a lot of books, and I love teaching it to my students. So I really get a sense of what are the unique qualities of every sort of historic moment musically. For me, what I thought a podcast needed was something that was catchy and somewhat repetitive so that it could be used throughout the podcast. This is how I've heard music and podcasts used and utilized. So I was looking for a sort of a minimalist approach, a repetitive music in some way, but then it had to have some catchy moments in it, and it needed to be organized. For me, it really needed to have an organization. I told you that, and maybe you were surprised, that what I wanted to do with it is I wanted to take the piano improvisation and turn it into a string quartet. And then what I was going to do with that string quartet was I needed to create a very specific musical form. And I chose a rondo. Those of you are familiar with musical form, rondos come in several different formats. But the one I chose was where you split up the thematic material, where the material repeats at least three times with two contrasting sections. So essentially you hear A, B, A comes back again, then a C, and then finally the A returns at the very end again. For me, that was really important. That helped me sort of formulate how I wanted to structure all the ideas. But then there was, once you've done that, I had something that I was repeating and had created for the A. I did not have any music for B and C yet. And that's where I decided to add an homage, if you will, to your J-O-Y. I decided, I wonder if I could fit in Beethoven's Ode to Joy into this. I love like little subtle things that find their way into Mm -hmm. art. It's the little symbology, if you're looking at a painting, why does someone hold their hand a certain way or why is there a tiny little dog painted in the bottom corner? (laughs) It's the same with music. For me, I like the subtlety of things that one must have a little knowledge of before they recognize its particular impact in the art itself. I had no idea that it would fit just yet, but I thought it would be a nice theme to develop and maybe weave into the music. And so in the B section of this piece, I actually inserted Beethoven's Ode to Joy and a little harmony to go along with it. It wasn't the fully formed piece, It's not the whole thing, it's just a few phrases from it. But if you listen carefully when you hear the podcast, you can catch little snippets of it as it transitions to another part of one of your podcasts. For me, that brought me great joy, just to actually (laughs) sneak something in there that maybe somebody might notice. It's only in there in the B section. It leaves, and Mm -hmm. the A comes back, and then the C is a completely unique piece there on its own. But that was my idea, and that's really what I wanted to try to do. I don't find that this piece is anything really spectacular as much as it is, as you point out with this podcast, it is a great labor of love. It brought me something that I knew I could do, but I hadn't really sat down to try to do. When I put my mind to it, and I was inspired by what your inspiration was for this podcast, there was sort of a synergy there, a thing that really made me feel like we were both endeavoring to do something really special for our community.
0: It's such a great gift to us. You and I have had such fun with it, but also for our community. You've given something meaningful, and I want our listeners to go just a little bit deeper with us because there is some depth. Once you added in Beethoven's Ninth Symphony, the music actually took on a new level of significance. Beethoven is still famous today for having been such an accomplished musician and composer, but a lot of people maybe don't know that Beethoven began to lose his hearing as he got older. And during the last decade of his life, he was deaf. That decade was the same time during which he composed some of his greatest works, which include this Ninth Symphony. The Ode to Joy that so many of us have enjoyed and sung in church, he actually never really heard.
1: It's a strange thing to think that something so great, so significant historically in music history was produced by someone who then didn't have actual use of the probably his most important gift, which was his hearing. Although I would say that for non-musicians, you probably think that that had to have been a near impossibility. How does one even do this? Those of us who have spent our life as musicians will recognize that there is such a thing as absolute pitch or perfect pitch, and Beethoven did have absolute pitch, he was able to reproduce pitch in his head or sing the pitch necessary without the aid of an instrument like a piano or a tuning fork. He was able to just recreate sound in his head like that. He could hear, essentially, pitches in his head. And to that end, he heard music in his head. The most important thing we need to know about Beethoven when it comes to his deafness is that he wasn't born deaf that he did actually produce much of his music while still having his hearing. But in the last quarter of his life, there was a significant time where he was pretty much deaf and wasn't able to hear it. I think all of that music making, that genius, the absolute pitch, that allowed him to be able to still create even in those times. To me, I think the real tragedy for Beethoven was that he had to come to grips with whether or not people would find out that he was deaf, I think that was truly sad and challenging to know that there were people who may not believe in his abilities any longer just because he didn't have the ability to hear it. That was very challenging. I actually think is what drove him a bit, as I said, mad in latter parts of his life. I think they did know that he was deaf They never knew to what extent for the longest time. They really didn't know. And yet he still created. I have to go back and really think that during this time of his creation of these masterpieces in the 7th, 8th, ninth symphony, all three of those, I think he was pretty deaf at that point. All of those symphonic works, I think, are extraordinary pieces, but they came from a place inside of him that I think we all can kind of understand at a very human level. One of the things that Beethoven was quoted as saying to a fellow composer at one time, and actually this is a very different way of thinking during his time. He said that what is in my heart must come out, and so I write it down. This is not something a Mozart or a Haydn would have said. This is a pure Beethoven idea that he wrote what came out of his heart. He didn't write anything musically that was somehow pushed on him or an idea that was popular. He actually carved out a very strong moment in time for himself to say, I am here and upon this moment, I am going to create something that's never been created before. It's a pretty astounding as far as his Ninth Symphony is concerned, I think what we recognize in the Ode to Joy is that he actually had heard the Schiller poem, probably that was written in around 1785, I believe. He had heard this poem and was very much inspired by it. And so I think it lived inside of him for a very long time, until he was at that point in his life where he had fully lived, but had also experienced tragic moments, including his own tragic deafness and decided that it was time for that to kind of come out and become something new and different. And so what people may not know that in Beethoven's Ninth Symphony, for the first time ever in the history of music, a symphony had in its fourth movement, choral music. It actually had vocal solos and choral parts in the fourth movement. And this was revolutionary. Nobody had heard anything quite like it. And for the thing that was so revolutionary in the history of music, he chose the Ode to Joy. He chose that text, and then he wrote that sort of wonderful little musical line to it. And encapsulated in this moment is a moment that I think a lot of people recognize as something new and different, never been done before, what romantics would call an ethos surrounding Mm -hmm. the Ninth Symphony. I think that's really what this is all about to the extent that for the next hundred or more years, no composer wrote more than nine symphonies. In fact, nobody actually wrote nine until I think Mahler. And that's quite a long time before somebody actually endeavored to write more symphonies than the great Beethoven. It's not lost on me the significance of such a beautiful, wonderful piece of music in the history of music, not just to the sort of revolutionary ideas of Beethoven, but also his tragic heart coming through in the music in a way that we all can truly understand a humanity that's very special there.
0: I just think it's fascinating that He had music in his soul that he could hear in his mind, but not his ears. And he was compelled to share it. He had a need to write it so that others could do what he could not do, which was hear it. And I think it's just amazing how times of great calamity and great suffering or great challenge, they can also be times of amazing, absolutely amazing creativity and resilience. And that makes me wonder what creativity and beauty will come out of this difficult time, this pandemic. Talk to us about how music is feeding your soul right now during this pandemic.
1: Well, I think it's feeding my soul a lot like it would normally. I actually listen to music all the time. And when I'm not listening to it, I'm actually saying it out loud in some way. I'm singing around the house, producing it on the piano. It lives inside of me. Music is feeding my soul in some very unique and special ways because of what we're faced with. Times like this give of what I call perspective. For me, music is a normal thing. It's an everyday thing. The perspective I get though is how it affects others. So mm-hmm. what I'm seeing is that people are responding to music in new and different ways that are really exciting for me to see. For my own students, for instance. The fact that they didn't have an outlet for music for a very long time, when we got back to school and began singing again, I wish you could capture that moment on their faces when they heard each other sing. I liken that to some of those videos I've seen of people who they have those inputs for hearing aids that help them hear. Cochlear
0: ear implants. Mm -hmm. They're
1: amazing to watch the faces of the peoples who recognize sound for the first time. It's a similar experience, almost like they didn't know what they had been missing. And then all of a sudden it was back and it was special in a way that it's never been before. For me, that's how music is feeding my soul through others, watching them experience it and basically having a similar experience that I have daily for myself. For me, I can create playlists and listen to a whole slew of music that have inspired me over the years and they heal me. They put me in special places where I can feel my soul just being uplifted. But what I've always thought was my greater challenge and my calling was to share that part of my soul with others. To allow them the opportunity to see what's inside of me and see if we can't capture a little bit of their soul at the same time. It's pretty important right now to have those kinds of moments because I think there is a lot of anxiety and despair. Those two very detrimental things in our world, we need inspiration that comes through music and art. I won't just leave it at music alone. And the fact that artists right now aren't able to create in the ways that they could prior to the pandemic is truly saddening and tragic, but they're finding ways on social media, I've seen some pretty spectacular things that just lift my soul every time I look out there and see the artistic community finding ways to call out to the world.
0: I think that music, whether you're listening to it or creating it, one of the things that it is, is a tool for expression. And when we're having a tough time, we may not have all the words that we need to express what we're going through. But music gives us a kind of language. I think it broadens our abilities to get in touch with a whole range of human emotions and delights. So music is more than a simple pleasure, although sometimes that's all we need from it. It also adds a great deal of meaning to our lives, and it's something that we can share with one another.
1: About a year and a half ago, maybe two years ago, one of our administrators asked us to create a why statement here at our school about why we do what we do specific to what we teach. And so I wrote a why, it took me a while because I wanted to do it correctly, but I wrote a why statement down. And while I talk specifically about the arts in here, I actually think it also fits very easily interchangeably with music. So I'm going to read you my why statement. And I think this truly encapsulates what this is all about. I wrote, I teach because I believe that the arts enrich the lives of all people and are also essential to unleashing humanity's greatest potential and all that is best within ourselves. And I believe that wholeheartedly. I will believe that till the day that I die. That is why I do what I do, but it's also why I feel so deeply moved when I hear other people do it as well. There's something very beautiful about the idea of how music can touch us at the very core of who we are.
0: Thank you for that. It can absolutely be an expression of divine grace, a little touch of God. I think that this completes our joy for today. Thank you, Stephen, for composing the music for this offering. And thank you for joining me for this podcast to talk about it. Again, thank you for your constant support. To our listeners, if you enjoyed this conversation, then please do nominate my next guest or let me know of a topic you'd like to hear about. You can email me at mvano at org. Now go forth and share some music, share some joy in whatever music you love, whether you're creating it or just listening to something really good. Let music heal and inspire you today. And tune in again next week because it's definitely not J-O-Y without you. This is a production of Saint Margaret's Episcopal Church in Little Rock, Arkansas. Thanks to Stephen Vano, who composed and performed our theme music, and to Heidi Soul, our producer.